the Oscar goes and to. And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to. Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, really? Love is is too weak a word. Welcome to the next best picture podcast. It's time. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode seven of the next best picture podcast. I am your host, as always, Matt Neglia. And today, our nice dear friend Will is not joining us. It's a two-hander. It's just me and Michael Schwartz today. How you doing, Michael? I'm great. How are you? Doing pretty well. So with just the two of us here uh, and with a light uh, week in news, we're going to try and just get through everything. Uh, hopefully turns out to be a short show for the most part. Uh, like I was saying, I mean, last week we reviewed like, what, five trailers? This week we've got two. Uh, we've got a bit of news to talk about in terms of the New York Film Festival some other little Oscar tidbits and other film news going on as well. So let's see how we uh, do without uh, poor Will. Maybe we can uh, cut him from the future episodes if that's the case. <laughs> hey, we might do so well today that we might not even need him. Yep. Sorry if you're listening, Will. I hate to break it to you. Sorry, not sorry in any event. First of all, I do want to point out that we do have a poll winner right now. Uh, the poll was asking our readers which film from 2014 would they like us to see a review of on the site. And some of the choices were Boyhood, Whiplash, Interstellar, The Imitation Game, American Sniper, Selma, etc., etc., etc. And we actually had a tie. Michael, care to guess what the tie was? The tie? Hmm. From 2014. 2014. Hmm. I, I don't know. Just tell me. I will. The tie is Birdman and Whiplash. Okay. So Birdman and Whiplash are two films which will be reviewed and posted on nextbestpicture.com. The review of Mad Max Fury Road, which won the previous poll for 2015, is on coming as we speak. I want to thank everybody for uh, for voting on the poll. Uh, there is another poll currently open right now where you can vote for your favorite horror film of all time. That'll be running all throughout the month of October. So thank you very, 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 very much on that. Let's now kick it off here with some film news of the week. Hey guys, this is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Every week on our show, you can join my co-host Brendan and I as we review the latest films that's out in theaters. It also inspires us to discuss a top three list of some sort, and we have a lot of other fun movie discussions as well. It's always a blast. And we also have a show on Fridays called our Extra Film Podcast. This is a show that gives us the space to talk about the latest indies and art films and other classics that we normally just don't get to talk about on our main show. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and more. In fact, you can just see everything about us, including our social medias at InCessionFilm.com. So join us every week. We'd absolutely love to have you. 
So, first things first. Week two of the New York Film Festival. I am all done. I am all wrapped up. I saw quite a lot of films and a lot of influences on the Oscar race, for sure. Influences good and bad. Yes, very much so. So, you mind if I ask you a little bit about them? Uh, yeah, let's start off with uh, 20th Century Women, which I saw uh, last week. Let's, let's start off with that one. What do you want to know? So, 20th Century Women, I hear that Annette Benning could get another Oscar nomination for this. Is that true? This is entirely true. Uh, the question of whether or not she will be in lead or supporting, though, is up in the air. Because while in, in another film it would be a lead performance... I could see how the studio may campaign her supporting because the film's focus isn't around her. It is more so around her son and the women that impact his life. So I could see the argument for both. I do believe if they do put her in supporting, she's got the Oscar uh, in the bag, in my opinion. She's that good in it? I think she's phenomenal, uh, but many people have said that Greta Gerwig is the real standout, and I am inclined to agree. I think Greta Gerwig stands a great chance at a Best Supporting Actress nomination. Yes, that was my next question, actually. I've heard that uh, if uh, Benning stays lead, Gerwig could certainly get into the supporting race here. I see a scenario where both of them get in. Even if Benning goes supporting, they both go in? Yep. Oh, that's good to know, because I really love Greta Gerwig. I remember seeing her in Greenberg a few years ago, and I love, love, love Frances Ha. I think she should have been nominated for that. Yeah, she was phenomenal in that. Golden Globe and Critics' Choice nominations, I think she got for that. Yes, and uh, I really like seeing her career go where she is. There was a time when they almost wanted to make her out to be a mainstream star, like a Jennifer Lawrence before Jennifer Lawrence took off. Remember she was in the Arthur remake? Yeah, I do. And uh, I like where she is, though, doing these Noah Bumbach movies and smaller indie titles. So I'm very happy to hear that the film is good and the performances are worthy. And can we go off here from Greta Gerwig and talk about Jackie? Because I know she's in that, too. She is in Jackie, and I have seen Jackie. I've got a lot to say about Jackie, which I will lucky, hold. Lucky, lucky, lucky. Yeah, I'll hold that for a future uh, review episode, but... Uh, yeah, this is a huge contender in many categories, not just Best Actress. This is going to be big. I mean, I'm talking Best Director. I'm talking Tex. I'm talking Peter Sarsgaard for supporting, potentially. Does he have a few good scenes? He's consistent throughout. It, he's, not a, he's not a scene stealer. He's not somebody that you also come away from the film particularly going, oh my gosh, like he absolutely was incredible in this. It's not like that. He is a great supporting performance that does exactly what it needs to do. It supports. It's not trying to be a lead performance that's confused and supporting. It's merely... A very, very good performance that's there. Um, I think that if they really love Jackie, and because Peter Sarsgaard has been denied a nomination before, I can see how he just slips in. Think of it like Maggie Gyllenhaal in Crazy Heart. Okay, also another Fox Searchlight movie. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so it sounds like the real thing to talk about here is Natalie Portman's performance. Which I think it's better than Black Swan. And were you a Black Swan fan? Yes, I was. That's what I've been hearing from a lot of people. 
I love Natalie Portman, and I actually just saw her in person on Monday over at a Hillary Clinton event. She was uh, right in my neighborhood, actually, which was really cool. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, it was nice to sit a couple feet away from her. I'll actually be seeing Jackie this weekend at the Philadelphia Film Festival. That's exciting. I usually go every year and see one or two titles, and this is the one I wanted to see most this year. I think you're going to be blown away by this, Michael. I really do. We talked about that trailer last week and just how fantastic it was. The cinematography looked remarkable. It is. It really recreates the era and makes you feel like you're watching a film that actually was shot in 1963. Does it put you right in Camelot? Yes, completely. In my opinion, it does. I think that the film, like I was saying uh, before, it just really recreates the era extremely well. I mean, there's editing that shows archival footage, and then when it transitions to footage that they actually shot for the film, you, you can tell it's footage that they shot for the film, but aesthetically, they're really trying to recreate the same look and feel, and I think that they just pull it off miraculously. I, I think it's one of the, probably, if I was handing out cinematography today, I would give it to Jackie. It reminds me a lot of what Ed Lockman did with Carol. That's a great comparison. All right, well, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. It may, in fact, be my most anticipated movie of the rest of the year. I will say this. I will say that it's very melancholy. It's not so much a hopeful film. It's uh, it, it definitely, as somebody who had a definite family uh, this year, um, and it was and it was a tragic, uh, a tragic death in the family. It struck me on an emotional level that really, really, I, I just it really cut deep. So it had an emotional impact. Very much so. I think that it did on a lot of people who saw it. So I think that the film is going to struggle to find a mainstream audience, but positive reviews, uh, an award season campaign, Natalie Portman, star power, I think could definitely drive significant box office towards the film. I, I really, really feel that this is one of the best films I have seen all year. Does it have more of a European influence to it? It seems like it might have a little more of an artistic quality that you don't see in a lot of American films. Totally. Okay. Well, that's a nice thing to hear. Uh, yeah. I think you saw Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk also this week. I did. Yeah, let's uh, hear about that. There were some mixed reactions to that one. Oh, man. So... We were so excited to watch Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. I'm talking like really, really yeah. excited. Everybody in online, when you got in the theater, Ang Lee came out, introduced a movie. Did you see a lot of people that you recognized in the room, like from the internet or just Yes, critics? I ran into uh, three of the guys from Gold Derby, actually, and I talked to them <laughs> for oh. a little bit. Did you see them before or after the movie? Before the movie. Okay, so you don't know what they thought of it. No, not yet, but I'm going to definitely uh, be checking out the site to uh, know for sure. I'll probably watch one of their uh, videos. The film is bad. Well, it's let's bad. rewind for a second. You say it's bad. Is that yeah. because of the film itself or because of the 120 frames per second? The film itself. Okay. Well, yeah. That's very surprising to hear. It is. It's, it's not... Man, it's so hard to 
talk about it because it was such a singular experience and unlike anything else I'd ever seen in the theater before. But not in a good way. No, not in a good way. Um, The effect was fine. I didn't mind it. And I'll tell you why. Because what the 120 frames per second effect really is, is it's a 4K Sony HD TV that's like 85 inches that you see in the store on display. And you know when they're showing the 4K video footage of nature, of food and stuff, and you're looking at it and you're like, oh my God, that looks so real. I feel like I can just reach out and touch it. Oh my God. Yeah, it's like when I go into Costco and they have that 120-inch TV that looks like it's one of the samples and not the TV. Exactly. Imagine now that you go in the settings of the television and you turn on the auto motion 240 hertz uh, setting where then everything is moving so fluidly and so smoothly. You know what I'm referring to? Yeah. That is what the effect is like. It's hyper, ultra, realistic, really high resolution, but moving in that silky smooth sort of way. So it's too much. It is. Because there are times where fast, like fast motion, for example, just looks so weird because it's moving too fast. Yeah. I, I, I think the resolution, the 4K scan resolution and the detail that you get out of the image, that aspect is really incredible. But I'm not a fan of this smooth feel that you get while watching the movie. I'm just not a fan of it. And I, I wasn't on The Hobbit, and I'm not a fan of it here. I'm not a fan of watching it on my regular television at home. So that is that aside, that aside though, the film's screenplay is where the real problem is. It's simply just structured in a very cliched way. The dialogue is pretty cringeworthy and laughably bad. There were many times in the movie where the audience laughed um, – and it was not an intentional uh, laughing moment. Ang Lee kind of alluded to when he first came out, he presented the film that he, I got, I got the sense that he felt that the film wasn't going to do well because he introduced it in a very odd way where he was like, uh, I hope you like this thing that I've made. I'm not sure if it's really considered a movie. Um, like, he he just seemed very reserved on it, I guess you could say. Well, you didn't see the first screening, right? There had been I saw, one right no, I saw you. the third I saw the third screening. There were, okay. there were a total of three screenings that evening. So he probably knew by that point that people weren't loving it. Uh, that's very probable, I'm sure, yeah. So that makes, that makes perfect sense as well. So, all right, well, I'm going to have to check it out for myself, as I'm sure a lot of other people are. And we'll see where it goes. Uh, as for performances, you like Joe Alwyn, I read? I did like Joe Alwyn. Unfortunately, he's not going to be in the conversation at all just due to the reception that the film itself is going to get to, is going to receive. Same thing with everybody else in the supporting roles. So what about Oscars? Is it just going to get like a sound nomination and that's it? I think that that is it. Okay, well... It happens. You know what? I saw somebody online compare this to uh, Unbroken and Joy. Yep, I would. I would say it's that kind of a that kind of a film. I, I was thinking Steve Jobs, but that might be a little too much, as that got acting nominations and not a uh, sound or so, something below the line. This is one of those movies where 
Ang Lee's name is going to put it into consideration and, and enough people will see it that it'll get a nomination or two, but nothing major. All right. Well, you know what? Noble failures happen now and then, and I'm glad he tried it. Sounds like it was an experiment worth looking at. Yep. And yeah. Look, he's a very good filmmaker who has made some bad films in the past. Not taking anything away from the talent that is Ang Lee. The man is a master, and I admire the fact that he tried to do something different. In, in between Brookback Mountain and Life of Pi, we had Taking Woodstock. Exactly. And in between Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon and Brookback Mountain, we had Hulk. Yep. So now we can say in between Life of Pi and whatever great film is next, we had this. That is the best way to describe it. He is hit and miss. He's not always 100% consistent. But I will say this. Even when he does miss, his misfires are still interesting to watch. Okay, well, we'll see what happens with this one. And then fresh off of uh, the New York Film Festival, the final film that I saw last night, uh, which closed out the festival, turned out to be James Gray's uh, latest film, The Lost City of Z with Charlie Hunnam. Yeah, now I don't really know anything about this one. It's about explorers in the Amazon or something. It's, it takes place in the Amazon, but it was picked up by Amazon. Isn't that pretty funny? Yeah, it is. <laughs> I, I actually sent out a tweet about that, uh, of like an elderly Oscar voter saying, they told me I could find the lost city of Z in the Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Based, it, it, so the film is based on uh, David Grant's uh, best-selling book of the same name. It's called The Lost City of Z. Uh, Z is actually short for Zed, which is something that they call it in the film a couple of times. And Charlie Hunnam plays uh, Percy Fawcett, who is a British explorer um, who uh, in real life disappeared with his son, who's played by Tom Holland in this film, in like 1925 in search for this lost city in the Amazon jungle. And this was at a time when exploration was like a really, really big deal. And the film explores what it means to be a man and how this discovery could lead to a better life for his family name and for his uh, children as they move forward in their lives. See, this is back in a time where the family name still meant so much in high society. So he feels very, very compelled to set off on this journey. And as he's on the journey, he gets closer and closer, he feels, every single time to discovering uh, the city. But something uh, compels him to have to come back home. So this is like a decades ongoing quest for him. And he makes multiple trips. He's away from his family uh, time and time again. His uh, wife is played by uh, Sienna Miller in this movie. Always popping up as the wife lately, it seems. Yeah, right? It definitely appears that way, I feel like. Um, Robert Pattinson uh, accompanies him on the journey. And I will say this. The film is gorgeous. Yeah, well, we shouldn't expect anything less from James Gray after The Immigrant a few years ago, which is just a stunning, stunning movie. This too. And this was shot on 35mm? This is shot on... 16 millimeter okay i believe this this is amazingly gorgeous movie um i'm talking like such it's got such a classical throwback feel to david lean style epics oh wow and it's so ambitious there, there's even a moment in the film where 
there's a World War One battle scene. And all I kept asking myself is, is this even really necessary to show all of this? Uh, but at the same time, I didn't really care because I was just so impressed that James Gray decided to even go there as far as just upping the ante in terms of scale of this film. The, so this a is, better battle is, scene than Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk? Uh, in my opinion, it was. I think the battle scene in Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk is nothing to write home about. All right. But in this film, I thought it was actually really well done, even though it's just a footnote on the overall story. Th- this film has more in common with Aguirre, The Wrath of God, I guess you would say. All if right. If you've ever so, seen that Warner Herzog film. Sure. It's like, uh, I'm trying to think of the word to explain it, like a more toned down adventure film. Uh, yes, this is not an exciting movie. But it'll hit with that art house audience in the spring, you think? Uh, 150% positive. Mainstream audiences are not going to get this movie. Okay. Well, I look forward to seeing it myself. It doesn't seem like the type of story that would appeal to me at first, but I really do like James Gray. I think that there is a lot of thematic depth to this story, and I think that James Gray's work on this film is worth seeing, especially as anybody that would consider themselves to be a hardcore cinephile. I, I, I truly think it is really beautiful work from him. And like I was saying before, if this film was being released in 2016 right now, this would easily be a contender for best cinematography. Good to know. And is that all you saw at the festival? Yeah, everything else that uh, uh, that we've covered, we covered uh, last week. So that pretty much wraps it up for, for me as far as the New York Film Festival is concerned. Sounds like you had a great time there. I had... Michael, let me put it to you this way. It was one of the most joyous experiences of my life. Wow. My first film festival I've ever been a part of. And even though I didn't even go as press and I went as just a fan of cinema, to be surrounded by so many people that love film the same way that you do, you feel like you can actually hold conversations with versus everybody else it seems like in my life that I can't seem to do this with all the time <laughs> people who know what they're talking about yes and then and then you get people that you think they're a little off their rocker uh when they say stuff like manchester by the sea is the best film they've seen in the last 20 years um it's a little bit of a stretch but you appreciate that everybody there is a, a, a lover of cinema so with that said i'm gonna urge everybody that's listening if you if you consider yourself a cinephile if you love movies I highly urge you to check out your local film festival that's happening in your area and just be a part of the experience of it all. I, I I can't stress enough how much fun I had. I loved every minute of it. So final rating, you give the New York Film Festival a 10 out of 10? <laughs> as far as the experience goes for me, absolutely. Uh, there were some you know, disappointing movies like Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, and I wasn't so high on The Lost City of Z. But when you take into account all the films that I saw, I mean, I saw 13th, I saw Moonlight, Manchester by the Sea, 20th Century Women. You know, I mean, like this. You had a this, good run. This is a great, great run. So I have no regrets whatsoever. Very good. Well, we'll look forward to seeing the rest of the films in the season and seeing how they hold up after this festival. Absolutely. Full reviews of those are still to come on the next Best Picture podcast hopefully by then you guys have forgotten my thoughts on these on these films uh what else has been going on this week in the world of oscar uh silence 
silence has been trimmed down to two and a half hours. Previously, we were, they were reporting it was over three hours. That surprised me that they cut it down a little bit because when it was announced as about three hours and ten minutes, that seemed doable since The Wolf of Wall Street was three hours on the dot. Yeah, and you know, you, I, I would think that a film of this scale and the epic nature of the movie itself and who knows what Marty's going for here in terms of is he going for a throwback to kind of like what James Gray did of the David Lean epics of old? Uh, you know, we don't know yet. If so, I felt like a running time of that sort would definitely be in line with what I think Marty is going for here. But listen, The Lost City of Z was two hours and 20 minutes, and it felt like it was three hours and 20 minutes. So if this is two and a half hours long, I'm, I'm perfectly okay with that as well. Okay. So that's going to come out December 23rd, I believe. Yep. And the producer on the film that uh, gave the interview over to the playlist also said, now hear me out on this, he says it's Marty's best film. I did see that. It was Erwin Winkler, who's been around forever. I mean, he's done everything. Yeah. He produced Raging Bull. Yep. So he might be just uh, promoting his own film here, as the producer tends to do. But this is the man who's done a lot of great films with Martin Scorsese. So if he's saying it's that good, we'll have to wait and see. That is... uh, That's quite the claim. But you're right. Erwin Winkler has... You know, he's been around. I mean, he won the Best Picture Oscar for Rocky back yes. in 1976. He, he directed a film I really, really love back in 2004. People actually uh, don't seem to be a big fan of it, but I fell in love with it when I first saw it. called The Lovely, the Cole Porter film mm-hmm. with Kevin Klein and Ashley Judd. So, I mean, the guy's been around. He's done a lot of things. So, if he says it's good, I have reason to believe it may be. All right. And then we also had... Some Warren Beatty news. Your beloved Warren yes, Beatty. Yes, my pal Warren. Tell, tell everybody what's going on with uh, Warren Michael because I'll tell you this much. I'm about ready to eat my hat on this. Let's see. What happened was on Friday, I log into Twitter just to check the news like I tend to do every day. And I see something from noted Oscar pundit Chris Tapley who puts out a very vague tweet that says, Beatty lead. And I go, Beatty lead. Oh, my God, did they screen the movie? Now, Rules Don't Apply is going to open the AFI Film Festival in a couple of weeks. So I did some digging, and I saw that there was a screening at the Fox lot for Academy members the other day. And apparently some press was invited, too. And I'm guessing maybe Tapley was there and saw the film and thinks that Warren Beatty has a shot not just for an Oscar nomination, but in the lead category, which surprised all of us because we thought he would be a supporting player. So I have been predicting Warren Beatty for Best Supporting Actor nomination for many months now. And I'm still confident about it happening, but not in that category anymore. I think he is definitely a contender to watch out for in the very, very thin Best Actor race. I think he's still going to have that love when he returns to the screen. And people are going to want to have him at their party. So think of that what you will. We'll know more about the film itself in a couple of weeks. But I'm very excited by this because it throws a bit of a curveball and I'd love to see him welcome back. What do you think? I still don't think it's happening. But after hearing some of these reactions, are you more inclined to see that I'm onto something here maybe? Yes, but I still don't think it's happening. 
I can totally see a scenario where he's at the Golden Globes and Alan Arkin takes a piss next to him in the bathroom stall, as he says in Argo. I can totally see him being on the campaign trail and everybody giving him these honors and so on and so forth. I think he gets snubbed for Oscar. I just don't see I just don't see it happening. Even in such a weak category like best actor? Call it a hunch. Just call it a hunch. And and is it totally weak? I've been hearing more and more that many people think that Ryan Gosling uh, stands a chance to get in for La La Land if they really, really go for the film. I think he's totally in Ryan Gosling just because of how weak it is. You have Casey Affleck seems like a lock. He is. Then we have Denzel Washington, whose film we haven't even seen yet. But that's a but pretty, based upon that trailer, I would say he's a lock. That's a pretty good go right there. I think Tom Hanks is pretty firmly in there for Sully. It's possible. Uh, I have him at my number three right now. Ryan Gosling for La La Land could go right in with the film there if people love him in it. Apparently, people are so high on Andrew Garfield that he could get in for either Hacksaw Ridge or Silence. See, I don't know because Hacksaw Ridge, I don't think he's going to do anything with above the line categories. I think that might just be a sound player. And then Silence, we don't know a ton about, but just... The plot synopsis, it doesn't seem like a film that's going to get a ton of acting nominations, aside from maybe, maybe, maybe Liam Neeson in supporting. What about Joel Egerton for Loving? Loving's in that weird place right now where I don't even know if Ruth the Neg is going to get in, and yeah. I don't think the film is in for Best Picture. So what we have Joel Egerton in over the Badier performance? You know, there's nothing that really screams that this is a oscar-worthy performance people say he's good but i don't know that it's going to be that type of level and is he even going to be out on the campaign trail where warren Beatty's going to be everywhere yeah i see your point joe alwyn is out yeah joe alwyn's out what about miles teller and bleed for this we were thinking that for a while but it could still happen it depends on like a nine at this point maybe yeah i would say he's definitely slipped and he's definitely fallen as more reactions to the film have come out what about this silent uh possibility though what about dev patel for lion supporting you're kidding everyone's supporting in that who's the lead it's an ensemble you're kidding no i thought we talked about this a few weeks ago I, I don't recall this. Yeah, the entire cast is going supporting for Lion. That just seems ridiculous based on the film's trailer. Yeah, no one is lead in that movie. Well, you know what? I, I, would, I would feel, until I get a much... Until I see the film itself, I, I reserve the right to not put him in my supporting actor category. Although I do feel right now that supporting actor is also uh, a category that is ripe for somebody to just take a slot there are a lot of names in contention, but there's not that one front runner just yet. No, which is why I still am holding on to Liam Neeson, just based on just industry, respe- industry respect, the it's time factor, the, it's the right movie, it's the right project, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but uh, as for Lion, uh, don't put Dev Patel in supporting if you don't want to, but definitely take him out of lead because I hear it's really not happening for anyone. Okay. All right. And yeah, so that's where there's that slot for Warren Beatty, number five, right there. You know, it's like everyone's dropping out and he might be the last man standing. I can't. I'm just trying to think in my mind of any other contenders. There's nobody from Moonlight, unfortunately. That's all going to be supported. Oh, Matthew McConaughey and Gold might be a possibility. See, I, 
I'm very low on the trailer personally, so I might have a little bit of a biasness yeah. against well, this. Again, don't base everything off of the trailer. Of course. Uh, uh, he looks like he's having a good time. He looks like it. It looks like it could be a very solid performance from him. I'm just not fully convinced yet uh, with how the film itself is going to do. Yeah. I also want to throw this out there as well, and I know that many people are going to scoff at this, but Nate Parker's performance in Birth of the Nation is still the best thing about that movie. It's one of the best things about the movie, but I think that movie is totally dead in the water now. Academy screenings did not go over well. He's not even in a top 10 conversation anymore, you don't think? I don't even have him in my list of 30. Jesus. It's done. I've taken it out. Okay. But uh, looking through the list. Oh, Robert De Niro and The Comedian. The Comedian is going to be released. No way. In January through Sony Pictures Classics. And it's going to premiere at AFI. So obviously it's going to probably have a limited Oscar qualifying run. This I definitely remember talking to you about. And this I'm still 100% positive is not happening. Why do you seem so convinced? Because... Robert De Niro, unless if he's going truly dark or really heavy with the trauma, he has done an amazing job of changing the public's perception of him in recent years that I don't think he can overcome that. stellar in Silver Linings Playbook. Yeah, but that was also a supporting performance in a film that was universally well-liked. If this is a film that gets, say, like a 63% of Rotten Tomatoes, doesn't have that universally well-liked factor to it, at, like, who's going to go for him in this, really? If he's out there doing some things and the film is at least decent, I would not be surprised if anything came of it. I will still be surprised. No, no. Well, I am well, not Well, agree to disagree there. One more name I do want to throw out. I mean, I still have Warren Beatty getting that last slot in an open race. That I'm hearing that Academy members, we talked about last week how they really like Denial. Yeah. I also hear that they really, really, really like Captain Fantastic. Which is really cool because, in my opinion, Viggo Mortensen is deserving. That could happen. I would like it to happen. I love Viggo in that movie. There are names there, but they don't seem like big names like you have in Best Actress where it goes, oh, well, we have 17 names that can be a lock, but there are only five slots. Here you have five slots and you try to fill them all. I will say this. At New York Film Festival, I ran into a couple of people that did see Miss Sloan. And they are 100% convinced that Jessica Chastain is a contender and she's getting nominated. Yeah, I have her uh, towards the top. I think she's my number six or something right now. At this point now, when it comes to Best Actress, I've changed my lineup so many times that now I finally did have to remove Nufnega from the uh, from the equation here. Uh, so now my picks look like Viola Davis for Fences, Emma Stone for La La Land, Natalie Portman for Jackie, Amy Adams for Arrival, and Jessica Chastain for Miss Sloan. I have Viola Davis for Fences, Natalie Portman for Jackie, Emma Stone for La La Land, Meryl Streep for Florence Foster Jenkins, and Annette Bening for 20th Century Women. See, I think that Arrival is going to go the route of something like Gravity. Not as much money mind you, but enough money uh, that I think Amy Adams will be able to snag a nomination for the film. Possible. Uh, Jessica Chastain, I have her in just based on that early word, like I was saying before. I think Jackie, Emma Stone, and Davis are 
and, and it's so weird saying this about Davis considering no one's seen the film, but I still think those three are locks. Yeah. And uh, I heard someone compare Miss Sloan to Michael Clayton the other day. Yes. that Based upon uh, the trailer and also based upon what I was told uh, at the New York Film Festival, that is a very good comparison. And I saw a trailer before The Accountant yesterday, and it really looks very good. Uh, yeah. Timely issue. She looks fantastic as always. We talked about the trailer a few weeks ago. But just seeing it again, boy, does that look good. It really, really does. What do we make of in Best Actress? Obviously, you have her in your predictions, but what what do we truly think about Meryl Streep and Florence Foster Jenkins here? There was a time where I had her in the contenders, like down at a six or seven. But Paramount is really going all out for this, apparently. They're going to start a big campaign around the time of the DVD release in December. And it hits right in that Academy wheelhouse. I was looking at my own predictions the other day. I really think Florence Foster Jenkins gets in for Best Picture, Meryl Streep, Hugh Grant, Costumes, Score. Like, this could be a five or six nominee movie. So if that happens, there's no way she misses out. This would also be her 20th nomination. So even in a year as competitive as this, that's a performance people are going to love in the actor's branch. Don't underestimate that. I've seen the film. She's fantastic in it. I don't know if the film has enough staying power with all these other contenders coming on board so late in the game, but she is Meryl, and it's not wise to ever count her out. I have not seen Arrival yet, and I know people really like Amy Adams, but I think that actors in the Academy would respond more to a Meryl Streep and Florence Foster Jenkins than an Amy Adams in Arrival. That's just my hunch. All right. So heading over to just more general film news for a minute here. What do you think of the Fantastic Beasts and where to find them uh, being five films altogether? I like the Harry Potter movies a lot. I think they're very entertaining, uh, smart blockbusters. So I'm naturally excited to see Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. John Voight aside, who had a crazy week on Twitter. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. The decision to split it up seems very reminiscent of what's been going on in Hollywood lately. I don't think it's the greatest idea to announce it before the first movie's even released. So, I don't know. I just don't want to get sick of this franchise. Like, I have a feeling I may. It's a little worrisome. What do you think? I think that people need to calm down. <laughs> I think that uh, we need to see if this first film is going to be any good first before we start green lighting uh, sequels. You know, that that's I mean, I really hate the studio mentality nowadays when it comes to intellectual property and these franchise films. I really do. It's all about the world building and getting a franchise and this and that after it. It's you can't just have a single movie anymore. It has to be a big thing. Yep. That everyone gets tired of. That's why my favorite films generally are the ones that don't get sequels. They're just standalone films that you'll be able to watch on their own with no other companion pieces uh, throughout the rest of the time. And they will not be tarnished as a result of those companion pieces. And look, I love the Harry Potter movies, and there are eight of them. All eight, I think, are very good. But I don't think I need another five in this world. Yeah, I don't know what they can t possibly tell us about the world that we don't already know from those first eight movies. I mean, will they not be finding all the Fantastic Beasts in the first one? Are there going to be more afterwards? Also, what do you call, like, the second film, for example? Pokemon Go. <laughs> That's what it's going to turn, turn into. It's going to be Pokemon Go in the 1920s. All right, so 
Guy Ritchie, director that I used to love, now not so much, set to direct the live-action film of Aladdin. Now, I don't remember if we talked about this for sure, but I think when we talked about The Lion King receiving uh, the live-action treatment, I think I might have said that I really want to see a live-action Aladdin film. I think he did mention it. Yeah, there's a lot of visual opportunities that can be had from a film such as that, and I think that it's something that can make for a really cinematic experience. But, man, did you see that trailer for uh, the King Arthur movie he's doing with Charlie Hunnam? I did not, because I am not a Guy Ritchie fan. Yeah, in recent years with the Sherlock movies, I've I've really gone cold on him. I didn't even like The Man from Uncle, which I know a lot of people found yeah, to be fun. I, I, I liked it. It's not great, but I so, liked it. That aside, he does not seem like the right match for this material. You think Guy Ritchie and you think sort of like gritty action. Aladdin is not gritty action. Also tough guy dialogue too. Yeah. So that's the first thing that gives me a little pause about this. And I mentioned a few weeks ago when we discussed The Lion King that I really don't have an issue with these Disney reboots like Beauty and the Beast or The Lion King, Jungle Book, stuff like that. If you're going to do a good job with it, by all means, let me see your interpretation of it. It might even be worth talking about. But I don't see how you make a live-action Aladdin because in the 90s version, you have this genie that is so manic and all over the place, it sort of had to be animated. You couldn't really do it any other way. Yes, I get that the technology is caught up, but it might not be enough on the first hand. And secondly... How do you get anyone else other than Robin Williams to do that role? Because that was a singular performance right there. I don't know. It's like, who are you going to have Josh Gad do it? Mm, Kevin Hart. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely a little discomforting, to say the least. That was Robin Williams' creation right there. There was nobody else who could have done it. He almost got a screenwriting credit on that because he improvised so much of it. I actually remember there was talk about him even getting a supporting actor nomination for voice. Yeah. And that would have been totally deserving. It's a fantastic performance. Agreed. So, yeah, I don't know. Cohen Brothers set to write a dark internet thriller for Fox called Dark Web. Good to see the Cohen brothers uh, working still. I always love it whenever they have a new project up on the horizon. Let's not forget that even when they're not directing, they put out some fantastic screenplays. I loved, 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 loved Bridge of Spies last year mm-hmm. for many, many reasons. But their screenplay gave it a bit of a dark bite. Like there was humor in there that it absolutely needed for it to be as great as it was. It gave it some humanity, too. Well, here's the kicker with this project. Did you hear that Dennis Lehane is involved? I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's a marriage I would think of. Oh, no? Dennis Lehane and the Coen brothers? Are you kidding me? Dennis Lehane is uh, responsible for some really, really gritty crime dramas. No, uh, I, I know that, like uh, Mystic River and uh, Live by Night, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But the Coen brothers are their own voice, and... I get that they've done adaptations before. I just wouldn't necessarily think of them to be the ones to adapt Dennis Lehane. 
but maybe I'll. Well, so well, let me let me put it this way: they're not adapting Dennis Lehane's work. Uh, Dennis Lehane was the first one to actually do the screenplay. And apparently, the Coen Brothers are being brought in to uh, rewrite it. Oh, this isn't based on a novel. Uh, no, it's based on a um, a Wired magazine a Wired magazine article uh, that was put out in 2013. Okay, well, we shall see. They're always worth looking at. The true story centers on a 29-year-old idealist named Ross uh, William uh, Ulbricht, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Dread Pirate Roberts, who built an online illegal drug marketplace called the Silk Road and along the way allegedly became a murderous kingpin. Interesting. So I think that that's something that sounds like it's way up in the Coen Brothers' wheelhouse for sure. And they're also writing the George Clooney movie, I believe, the one that he's directing. I forget. I'm blanking on the name of it. I don't remember it either, but I know that um, I heard about that project. And that's, I mean, I just love whenever those two, uh, three, rather, collaborate with each other. I think that they get some of Clooney's best work usually. Their last collaboration is still my favorite movie of the year so far. Get out of here. Hail Caesar, still your favorite? Oh, yeah. Oh, then again, I've seen more than you this year, so we'll see. Have you? How many have you seen this year? I've seen more movies than you have, that's for sure. Come on, man. We just talked about how I saw all these movies in New York Film Festival. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, like uh, the ones that would be considered for the top, because I've seen a lot of bad movies this year, too. Yeah, and we have a lot of other movies to look forward to here in the future as well, which is why we are now going to review two new trailers this week. First, let's start off with the sequel to John Wick. This one is called John Wick Chapter 2. Welcome to Rome. Is this a formal event or a social affair? Social. How many buttons? Two. And what style? Tactical. Mr. Wick, do enjoy your party. How good to see you again so soon. You have no idea what's coming. You want a war? Or do you want to just give me a gun? Whoever comes, I'll kill them all. The man, the myth, the legend. John Wick. You're not very good at retiring. I'm working on it. I know you're not a fan of the first John Wick film, Michael. I am. I thought it was a great time. It's a film that I could just put down with some friends that aren't necessarily looking for a artsy-fartsy, cinephile-esque criterion collection based kind of a film and it's just something that we can all just sit down and enjoy and we don't even have to really like watch the movie you just have it like playing on in the background while you're talking with friends or something and the minute keanu reeves just starts shooting people everybody then gets excited and is glued to the television screen it's a fun movie so i'm happy to see that at least the sequel visually Looks like it's up in the ante a little bit here. It doesn't look like your typical run-of-the-mill action film. It definitely looks like it has a little bit more care and artistry put into it. Keanu Reeves, he's saying these really cheesy, bad one-liners, but doing it in such a way that's just 
oozes coolness. And how can you not get excited about the reunion of Morpheus and Neo on screen? Well, I've never seen The Matrix, so that's how I can't get excited about it. What the <laughs> fuck, Michael? Are you kidding me? I've never seen The Matrix. You've never seen The Matrix. 1999. The Matrix. Never seen The Matrix. Get the fuck out of this podcast room right now. Oh, my God. Wow. You've seen all these movies. You've never seen The Matrix? Dude, that's like a cultural phenomenon. Where were you in 1999? I was four in 1999. That's where God I was. God fucking <laughs> – Jesus, that's right. I was nine years old, and that film was like catnip to me as a, little, as a young boy. Man. All right, moving on from that. What do you think of John Wick Chapter 2? Jesus Christ. I'm sure it'll be rewarding for the people who want to see it. I don't think I'm that audience, but I hope everyone has a good time. I, I, I saw the first one two years ago and really couldn't tell you anything about it except for something that happened with the dog. Oh, I, I don't really remember the movie either. I just remember Keanu Reeves was badass shooting people. It was a solid action movie. And yes, there was a bit with a dog, as they would say in Shakespeare in Love. <laughs> Yeah, I just, whatever, it's fine. I have no opinion about it. So moving on then to our second trailer breakdown of the week here. This is the final trailer for Star Wars Rogue One or Rogue One, Rogue One, a Star Wars story, whatever the hell we're calling it. It's a Star Wars film, people. This is the final trailer for Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Jim, whatever I do, I do it to protect you. So you understand? I understand. You want to get out of here? Our rebellion is all that remains to push back the Empire. I think you might be able to help us. When was the last time you were in contact with your father? What is this? It appears he is critical to the development of a super weapon. If my father built this thing, we need to find him. All right. How many do I need? They are requesting a call sign. It's, um, Rogue. Rogue One. That we are dealing with here is immeasurable. If the Empire has this kind of power, what chance do we have? We have hope. Rebellions are built on hope. Hold of this moment. The force is strong. Make ten men feel like a hundred. We'll take the next chance. And the next. You're rebels, aren't you? Save the rebellion! Save the dream! have to say the more footage that i see of this film the more i get excited because i think that the cinematography of these uh of this movie here it, it looks stellar it looks absolutely gorgeous to look at don't you agree 
Yeah, it looks like it's very well shot. The action seems uh, well choreographed. So it looks like a very well done Star Wars movie. I don't know that it's going to be anything worth writing home about, but I'm excited to see it. I really like the last one. And I'm not even a big Star Wars fan necessarily. I think they're entertaining. But I'm not going to go into like the mythology of Star Wars or my childhood memories of it. I really don't have any childhood memories of Star Wars. I've seen them twice. So, I mean, yeah, this looks like an entertaining heist movie. I think it looks like a heist film that's also wrapped up in a war film. I think that there's going to be some serious consequences as a result. I really love where Kathleen Kennedy and her team have taken the series in recent years. Well, she's just a master producer. She is just usually always on her A-game. Agreed. The one problem I have with the film, and I have had this with every trailer so far, is I really, really, really do not like what they're doing with Felicity Jones and these marketing materials. You don't? No. Why is that? I don't like the accent, mostly. What do you mean the accent? I didn't even really notice anything. I, I just don't like the manner in which she's delivering the lines. Oh. That, yeah. I, I didn't have that problem watching it. You No, not at all? None. But one person I did have a problem with was, uh, and he's in it very briefly, I think Forrest Whitaker looks very hammy here. Uh, yeah, I was going to comment on that as well. Every line delivery I've heard him do in all of the trailers so far, I don't really know if I like where it's all going. But then again... I kind of liked what Robert D'Onofrio did with The Magnificent Seven, so. Yeah, I didn't see The Magnificent Seven. Right, right. Oh, yeah, that's right. I saw that with Will. Yeah. Well, Vincent D'Onofrio does uh, a very, very hammy character uh, in that film as well with some very odd line readings uh, because you could just tell that he was probably maybe just a little bored with how his character was written on the page and tried to do something different with it. I think Forrest Whitaker might be trying to do the same thing here all right well we'll see when it opens in december and i'm sure everybody and their mother will be going to see it are you going to see it of course i'm going to see it all right then that's all that matters uh, i'm most excited to see ben mendelson who i'm a very very big fan of emmy winner ben mendelson yeah that's such a great thing to hear although i still don't think he deserved it for that second season he definitely deserved it for season one of, of bloodline and with that said, that'll just about do it this week as far as uh, trailers go, news, Oscar tidbits. But before we go here, Michael, do you have anything else that you want to talk about? Anything that uh, you encountered this week? This was a really slow week for me. I only saw uh, a couple titles. Oh, yes. Actually, I do want to mention something. I got to see Little Men this week, the new Ira Sachs movie. And? Which is absolutely beautiful. I've been waiting a long time to see it, and I really loved Iris Sachs' last film, uh, Love is Strange, starring John Lithgow and Alfred Molina. And this is sort of in that same setting of like New York real estate and how that impacts the lives of people. I found it really, really beautiful, extremely well acted. There's a kid in this movie. I think his name is Michael Barbarelli. We're going to be hearing that name a lot because he's like a cross between young Al Pacino and Rizzo the Rat from the Muppets. He has such a personality. I don't remember the last time I've seen a child performance that was like this caliber in terms of how loud it was and boisterous and just a little bit over the top at times, but never in a way that felt out of place. 
he's going to be in the new Spider-Man movie next year. So I'm sure everyone will recognize him there because you just can't take your eyes off of him. That's awesome. High praise. Yeah, uh, I gave it four stars, actually. It's on my top ten of the year so far. Very, very cool. And a very short movie, too. Only 80 minutes. Oh, so that's great. It's something that uh, is non-consequential if I wanted to uh, sit down and watch it. It says everything it needs to in that time. It didn't need to go on another 10 minutes. It would be just absolutely perfect the way it is. Well, I'm really, really glad to hear that. Um, Really, really glad that we were able to get this episode in at under, I think we're under an hour right now. 58 minutes, so let's wrap it up. Alrighty. With that said, Michael, where can they find you on Twitter? You can find me at MikeMovie. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. I am Matt Neglia. This year has been Michael Schwartz as well when we don't have Will this week. But he'll be back for sure. You've been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you all next time. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. 